right, welcome back, pool fans, to American Billiard Radio. This is a special report. We're going to be talking with uh, Mr. Ian Anderson of the WPA, uh, president of the WPA, about uh, some of the issues that have come to light recently uh, about the WPA player contract. So Mr. Mike Howerton was gracious enough to get him on the phone and, uh, you know, talk about a couple of the major questions and issues that have to do with the contract. And maybe we can get um, a little more understanding, uh, get some questions answered, uh, maybe, uh, you know, reduce a little bit of the panic that's involved surrounding uh, the issues. So, Mike, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? You know, partly, I'm not even sure if the conversation was necessary. You know, on one hand, I guess it was just to to clear some things up. But on the other, you know, there were so many things being said that they were so far away from the truth. Right, 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 right. You know, it's people who who aren't really knowledgeable about the situation but are talking about it like they're experts, and it just killed me. You know, I got a note about it a couple of days ago, and I sent Ian an email, and I said, hey, what's this all about? And he said, yeah, you know, it's no big deal. It's been out for a couple of months. You know, all the players in Europe, all the players in Asia, they they signed it back in Qatar or at the China Open. You know, it, it just seems like if... I don't think there was anything nefarious about it, but if there was anything handled poorly, it was that maybe this could have gone out earlier just because North American players aren't used to this sort of thing. You know, any place else out there in the world, the players look at stuff like this and they say, oh, yeah, no biggie. You know, it's just what we got to sign for the WPA because they're used to going to WPA events. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, I think... I I didn't mean to make light of it, but I did uh, say a few things on AZ about AZ Billiards about it, um, sort of a public response. And that was one of the things that I pointed out. And I didn't mean to take a shot on anybody, but on the one hand, uh, I can see why they're concerned, you know, because they're not used to signing things like this. So looking at this stuff from the average player, I can see that, you know, raising red flags, what is this all about? But you know, I, I think that the reaction was a little um, overdone. You know what I mean? Maybe they just should have, like I said, uh, emailed Ian or clarified. I don't know. I can't, you know, talk for other people, I guess. So this is, nonetheless, I think this is a good opportunity to at least hear it from Ian and uh, get at least some of the questions answered. Um, and I encourage everybody, you know, don't assume things. Just talk to the guy or ask somebody that knows. You know what I mean? And then maybe some of this stuff will make a lot more sense. So, Anything else you'd like to add, Mr. Mike? No, no, I'm with you. I mean, I think if the players had gone to maybe Shane or or Mike to Shane or Oscar, you know, someone who's been out there and played Hunter Lombardo, you know, they, they would have they would have understood a little bit more about what was going on. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, hopefully this conversation will calm some people down until the next thing they get all wound up about. So, you know, we'll see. It's always something, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Okay, guys. Well, stick around for the conversation with Ian, and we'll be right back after this. Ian Anderson, I imagine your inbox must be blowing up. Well, it's busy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For anyone who doesn't understand what we're talking about, we're talking about the WPA's player license form, which has become the big topic online this week as we get closer and closer to the U.S. Open. Um, the the form has been posted online numerous times and everybody with an opinion in pool 
seems to be commenting on it. So I wanted to take this opportunity to to talk directly to Ian, Ian Anderson. I, I didn't make the introduction earlier. Um, Ian is the president of the WPA, the World Pool, World Pool Billiard Association. Um, Ian, I think one of the biggest complaints that I'm seeing about this contract is the timing of it. We're, what, three, four days away from the U.S. Open, and a lot of people seem to feel that this agreement or this license was just sprung on the players this week. Yeah, that's unfortunate, uh, Mike, because actually the player license uh, was introduced some months ago. And, uh, in fact, the players who played in the nine-ball championship in uh, Qatar earlier this year in July, they, all, they were all license holders, as were the players who participated in the recent China Open, the men and the women. Everybody there was a license holder. So it's not something that's just sprung up overnight. This has actually been in place for some, some number of months. So... The American contingent in Qatar, that was Shane, Hunter, uh, there were a half a dozen or so players that played out there, yes, so they've yes, already yes, signed this. Yeah. Yes, they've signed it, yes, they're, they're license holders, yeah. Okay, and the European and Asian players, I mean, this is all something that they dealt with months ago. Well, certainly anyone who played in Qatar had it dealt with, but uh, as I say, I, I can't remember the date now but it was accepted earlier much earlier in the year okay who who was responsible for getting this signed by the north american players for the u.s open uh, well it's each tournament uh, i mean for the um, for the tournament in qatar which was the first one where the license was actually uh, used um, we had a um, we had our sports director on site, and um, she took care of um, you know the um, signing of the documents, the printing of the cards, the photographs on the card. It the the license is actually a credits card size um, license with the player's photo and registered number and and whatever on it. So um, all that was done there. Uh, for the China Open, much the, much the same thing. Um, now we figured that uh, at the US Open there would be enough of the players already holding licenses that the ones without, they would simply sign the form, have their photo taken at the players' meeting or sometime. Uh, the photo would be uh, sent off to our sports director who would then make the license cards up and, uh, and send them back. Okay. So really, I mean, the warning that the players got, and, and I don't want to misuse the term warning, but, you know, them seeing this license ahead of time, it, it really wasn't that odd. I mean, it would have just been something that came up at the meeting. So what happens at the U.S. Open? Let's say I go to the U.S. Open to play, which mm -hmm. I'm only doing that if you're backing me, but let's say I go to the U.S. Open and during the players meeting they say hey Mike you gotta sign this document and I say oh my god I can't sign that that's like career suicide I may as well just put a gun to my head as some of the people online have described it and I say I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sign it so what happens then okay well maybe I should tell you how it all came about um, we were at a uh, we were at a tournament early last year and uh, at that tournament, the organisers of the tournament were asking the players or, de or actually demanding the players to sign an agreement form, whether you want to call it agreement, licence, contract, whatever. They were insisting that they did it. And um, the, uh, the form that they wanted them to sign was, uh, was, was terrible. It was, uh, <laughs> you, had to, you had to see it to believe it. Uh, I advised the players not to sign any such document and um, we had a meeting the next day with the organisers. I explained the unfairness of it to them and told them that, uh, that we, would, uh, we would develop our own uh, licence form so that all the players would be under the control of the WPA at WPA ranking events. And that's where it evolved from. We 
also looked at the um, license that the players have with the World Snooker Association to get an idea because it's a tried and tested uh, version. But unfortunately, that runs into about 50 pages. And when what that was sent out to the members to look at, they all just said, well, this, this is just far too complicated. So we made up this one that's, I don't know, what is it, three or four pages or something, uh, a simplified version of it anyway. The snooker players, who are all members of, of that association, they've signed that 50-page player license without any problem, haven't they? Correct. Okay. Yeah, of well, if they hadn't, they wouldn't be playing. Right. So they, yeah. And, and, and some of the problems that people have with this license are that how, how dare you <laughs> ask the players to live up to this end of things if you're not providing them anything? Uh, what are the guarantees for snooker players? Well, they're not guaranteed anything. They're, yes, we know they play for a lot of prize money and, and all the rest of it, but they're not actually guaranteed anything. It's a performance uh, basis. If you, They've got a number of events uh, available for them to play in, um, and they earn their money according to the skills that they've got to earn that money. Um, if you lose in the first round of all the tournaments, you don't earn any money. It's performance uh, enhanced. In saying that, uh, if all the sponsors were to drop out of snooker tomorrow, there'd be no tournaments and there'd be no money. So they're not they're not guaranteed an income or a minimum income or anything. They've just they're just given the opportunity to play in the events that are available, and they do their best to earn the money from that. Okay. All right. That answered that question. <laughs> we can go back to where we were. Okay. So uh, they wanted the players to sign this agreement and you guys said, no, we'll, we'll do that ourselves. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, some of the unfairness of it was that the player was signing away his or her rights uh, for that country uh, in everything they did for the next two or three years. If they wanted to play an exhibition, they had to get permission. If they wanted to accept a sponsor, they had to get permission. If they wanted to play a tournament, they had to get permission. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just grossly unfair. And um, that's why I told the players, don't sign it. Now, I was told by them that, that their concern was that there, there was no control over the pool players. Um and I uh, gave them a, I gave them a guarantee that that would change, and that's where, as I say, the license really evolved from. And we've made this up. And this license isn't about telling everyone what to do and demanding this and making uh, unfair or unjust uh, demands upon the players. It's, no, it's nothing to do with that at all. The players have played in Qatar. They've played in the China Open. Nothing's happened to anyone. We haven't stopped players playing in any events. As you would know, um, Mike, most of the events in America, or all bar the US Open actually, wouldn't don't even qualify for, for WPA sanctioning. We've got no, uh, no, no, we've got no reason to stop players, but if there was a reason to stop, we would have that ability. But in saying that, in saying that, the first, paragraph or the second paragraph of this contract, the license contract, uh, it says that players can cancel it, the agreement anytime they like. Okay, <laughs> so theoretically, if I went to the US Open and you did convince me to sign my life away, once I got knocked out in two matches, I could let you know that I was canceling the agreement and then I wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. Correct, correct. It says any either party may cancel this license at any time. Now that's right. You can you could join on Monday, and I've seen you play pool. <laughs> get beat on Tuesday, and you say to hell with the WP. I'm tearing this up, and you, you're finished with it. Yeah, there's nothing there to you're locked in for any uh, great time period. However, if you wanted to play another WPA ranking event sometime later in the year, you would need a license. Now, I don't think we, we would be adopting a, a practice of 
you know, just handing, renewing a licence every time a tournament comes along. Uh, you know, there'd have to be um, a, a bit of uh, give and take on all that. But realistically is that, yes, you can cancel a licence any time you like. Well, and, and when you talk about what started the document, you know, what what prompted you guys to create this license form, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. It says in the form, I will not participate in any pool event that is not sanctioned by the WPA if the conditions of the event meet the WPA sanctioning criteria. So a lot of people, I think, are reading the first part of that sentence and saying, I will not participate in any pool event. Well, how can I allow the WPA to pick and choose what events I play in? But they don't pay attention to that's if the event meets the sanctioning criteria. What is the sanctioning criteria for an event? Well, the sanctioning criteria means that the event has to have a minimum amount of added money, not entry fee money, added money to the event, uh, which is uh, 30,000 US dollars. Um, Sorry, my dog just started to bark in the background. No problem. Um, it it also has to have the involvement of um, um, one eighth of the field, or or a minimum of eight players from other continents participating in the event. So, in other words, if you were running a tournament in in the United States, and you had um, four players from Canada. Uh, you know, a 16-person field, for in instance, um, four people from Canada, uh, one from Europe, uh, and the rest from the United States, that doesn't, and it's got $50,000 added, that doesn't meet the criteria because you don't have the minimum number of continental players participating in the event. It's only when you reach either the number of eight or one-eighth of the field. Whichever is greater? Yeah, yeah. So okay. one-eighth of the field is, you know, a 32-player field. You would have to be four players from other continents participating in the event and and have the minimum of 30,000 US dollars added. Okay, so one event that has been brought up is Turning Stone. I believe that's 20,000 added, so... If someone came along and wanted to add another 10 to it, then that would be an event that would come into this. Correct. And then, then the, the, the rule would apply about whether they're from other, how many from other continents or, um, and that sort of thing. But the turning stone is already, um, it's got a, what we call a member event sanctioning with the uh, WPA anyway. And can you explain the difference between a, a full WPA sanction and a member sanction? Well, I, you know, I think it's pretty easily understood what the full sanctioning is. It's one of those uh, tournaments where we get a lot of, uh, it's got substantial prize money. It's got to have in excess uh, 50,000 as a minimum added to the tournament to be a ranking event. We knew that not everywhere they could have that sort of uh, money added to their events. So we introduced the rule to allow each WPA member, that's continental member, to have three events each year and we would award ranking points to those three nominated events to go on to the, onto the players' uh, uh, yearly total. So... You can have three events in the United States or in North America, I should say. You can have three events in uh, Asia, three events in Europe, three events in Oceania and South America. And those three events, the players can earn ranking points to go onto their, onto their uh, you know, whatever their ranking points are on the WPA ladder. And do you know what events those are in North America for 2016? <laughs> no, <laughs> you're testing my memory. Um, well, I think the Turning Stone uh, is one of them. Uh, the US Open isn't because it's a fully-fledged ranking event. Uh, it's whatever the BCA would have nominated to be ranking events. Uh, I, I can't think off the top of my head what they are. Okay. Um, now, along with this 
rule, the, the next paragraph. Uh, further, I am aware that if I participate in any international pool event purporting to be a world championship or connotations of it being a world championship, my license will be canceled immediately. Um, mm -hmm. Now, of course, you can look at this on the surface and say, okay, this is about one tournament that claims it's a world championship, but it's not. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? Well, this is really to, um, you know, we, we, we have people put up considerable money to run the World Nine Ball Championship for men and also the World Championship Nine Ball Championship for women. And next year is the Eight Ball World Championship is coming back, both for men and for women. And there's also, we're talking with people at the moment about the World Ten Ball Championship coming back on. Now, all these people are putting up substantial money to have those events as the world championship. The last thing we would want to see is somebody come along and say, uh, oh, we're going to run the, a world nine ball championship. Uh, we've got uh, $50,000 here to throw into the pot. And uh, all the players say, oh, you beaut, here's another $50,000 tournament. And they go away and support it. That is being totally unfair to the organisers of the uh, event we've got where they're putting in substantial money. So it's to stop that type of thing. So the guy who wants to put on the $50,000 one and call it a world championship, we would be able to say to him, well, good luck with it, but I'm afraid you, you're not getting any of the players that are uh, that hold our license. And, and what does it take? I mean, okay, so is the title of that event as a world championship I mean, obviously that draws some players that may not come out, but look at the U.S. Open. That's not a world championship, never has been. I don't think Barry's ever, or Barry ever did try to make it a world championship, no. and yet it still draws players from all over the world. Yeah, yeah, and it's a long-established event. Um, 40 years it's been running, uh, and... It's, it's got a great reputation to it. Um, the US Open, I mean, what player doesn't want to win the US Open? Um, I mean, every, I'm, I'm always amazed at the um, demand there is to, to play that event. Uh, it's got a fantastic following. And I tell you, <laughs> uh, records show it's not an easy event to win. It's a, it's a you know, it's, yeah, it's a top event. It's one of our top events. There's no question about it. All right. Moving on in the agreement, uh, there's mm -hmm. a section on dress code and logos. Uh, yep. It says, will not dress in any fashion or wear any logo that could be deemed offensive. And then it clarifies yep. this also talks about, or it, it also mentions offensive logos being geographically specific. Um, can you explain that to me a little bit? Well, I guess uh, it's fairly common sense. The, the dress code, um, the dress code is we don't want people turning up in a, you know, I don't know what you, if you call them thongs uh, <laughs> in, in the United States, you know, those uh, rubber sole flip-flops or something on your feet. Oh, Playing okay. Hat and a pair of shorts and a, a dirty T-shirt and thinking that's acceptable to play. You know, we don't want that. Um, we also, um, you know, the organisers and um, whatever may have a sponsor, and the sponsor, which has quite often happened, they want, they want shirts made for players to wear that will feature their product. And... Um, you know, there's that type of thing. We just want people to be neat and tidy. Um, we don't necessarily want to see somebody playing with the logos hanging all over them, like a, one of those Formula One car drivers. You know, they've got logos from head to foot. Um, so we're just trying – it's all about appearance and trying to set an image. That's all. It's not about uh, depriving people of money or whatever. And you'll find that a lot of the organisers also insist upon it. They don't want – someone turning up with 30 logos plastered all over their shirt and trousers, etc. Wasn't there a rule in place uh, in the past that limited the number of, of sponsor patches that players could have, or am I thinking of some other event? 
No, um, a lot of the events insist upon it, and they, and they say that you can wear a maximum of X number, uh, two or three, and they also uh, often uh, say that you must wear a sponsor logo. So you must wear the, the main sponsor's logo um, as a form of advertising for that for that uh, product. Um, don't forget, these are the people that are putting the money in to make the event happen. So if you didn't want to wear the logo, <laughs> maybe there's no event. And, and that was the next thing I wanted to mention. Uh, maybe required to wear a logo of the tournament sponsor. Now, I think a lot of people are confusing that line, saying that you're forcing them to wear a logo for a sponsor of the WPAs, but that's not the case. If if Intel sponsors the World Nine Ball Championship, they're sponsoring that event. They're not sponsoring the WPA. Correct. The WPA doesn't have any sponsors. We don't have any sponsors. We don't endorse any product. Now, that's always been the situation. I think it's a situation that's got to change, but you know, in this commercial world, but at, at present we don't endorse any product uh, per se. There's a there's uh, products endorsing events, but not they don't sponsor the WPA. Okay, so if, for example, when players went to the CSI event, uh, mm-hmm. I think it was last year. Uh, they were all, I don't know if they were told to wear or if they were asked to wear, but they all ended up wearing a CSI logo. That's no different than what you're talking about here. This is not you saying everyone has to wear a Q-Tech logo. This is simply the main sponsor of the event or the promoter of the event saying, we want you to, to, to wear our logo. Yeah, it's a condition of the entry. Uh, it's not an unreasonable request. Now, I know it can happen that, uh, you know, a player might be sponsored by Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola is the sponsor of the tournament and they'll be asked to wear a Coca-Cola logo for that event. Well, that that's how it is. Um, I, I, I've seen that quite a lot, and, it, it, and it's an accepted thing between all the sponsors that they have no problem or no issues with players wearing, um, you know, the naming rights sponsor logo on their, on their apparel. They don't have any issue with it at all. And I see it a lot where players, a lot of players are sponsored by, let's say, Predator, and uh, the official queue is, um, you know, Q-Tech, for instance, and they're asked to wear a Q-Tech um, badge. They can wear the Predator one as well. They're not told they can't wear it. They can, they're allowed to wear that, and that, but they must also wear the Q-Tech or whoever it may be. Okay. Now, something that, that I do think may be an issue. Uh, there is a line in the agreement that says, I agree not to wear a logo of any sponsor that wasn't declared at least 30 days prior to the commencement of the event without the yep. express approval of the organizer. And we're mm-hmm. talking about the U.S. Open here. I mean, there's 160 players who are playing in this event, and I'd be willing to bet 150 of them had no idea this license agreement existed before this week. Mm-hmm. So how does that work out? Well, what it, what it was really brought around for, what would happen, well, what did happen, and we, we, we stopped it, and that's why this was brought in, um, a player would be going to play on the television table and uh, some, some opposition company to the, to the naming rights sponsor would be there and say to the player, I'll give you $500 to wear my logo while you play this match on, you know, on television. And, of course, the naming rights sponsor wasn't very happy with it. He's putting all his money in for the event to happen, and there's some guy just giving a few players a few hundred dollars at a time to go and advertise his product against theirs. So we said that if you have a sponsorship with a, uh, you know, an opposing company, um, that's, no, that's not a problem. But you must have had it more than a month out from the tournament. 
you can't suddenly decide at the last minute you're going to accept uh, a sponsorship from uh, from the opposition. And for those 150 players who had no idea this agreement was coming and are playing in the U.S. Open in a week, um, mm. they may not have sponsors, but in international events, which this license is targeted towards, mm. the players have to have to provide a list of sponsors before the event starts, don't they? Ideally, they're supposed to. That could be on that could be on the conditions of entry, which is always explained in the information sheet that's sent out to the players before the tournament. Now, if it's quite obvious, if the player hasn't received any information kit from the US Open and it, it points this thing out to them, then it, it wouldn't apply. You can't, you, you know, you can't spring things on people at the last minute. Um, and that's what I say. If you look at the information sheets that come out for the uh, other tournaments in the, um, you know, Qatar, uh, China and, and one thing, all this is put there in black and white for the player to read before they enter. They know full well that they won't be able to accept a, a sponsor within 30 days. That That is a competing sponsor, I mean, you know. Well, that makes sense. Um, I mean, I know at one Moscone Cup, players were paid 500 apiece to wear a logo for a sponsor, but that wasn't a sponsor that was competing with any sponsor of the event. Well, that's why that's why we we um, why it's also in there that you can get approval of the organizer to do that. So it might be a legitimate one. You might come along with um, you know Bank America logo, for instance. The Bank of America is going to sponsor you. Okay, I'm sure there'd be no objection to you wearing that. But if um, you know, if 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 uh, Diamond Tables were the sponsor of the uh, event, and somebody uh, all of a sudden got a sponsorship with uh, one of the opposing billiard table companies, they'd have every right to say, "No, you can't wear it." Right. If you didn't say ahead of time, "Hey, look, this yeah. is my sponsor." You might be a long, a long-standing uh, sponsor with Brunswick, for instance. There wouldn't be a problem wearing the Brunswick uh, logo, even though Diamond's the sponsor. But to come along at the last minute and say, "Oh, yes, I got this sponsorship with um, Brunswick. I'm going to wear their logo," you know, <laughs> the organisers are being told to say, "No, I'm sorry, <laughs> not for this event. Next year, but not for this one." And and I think those one-time uh, quick sponsorship deals are something that happens a lot in poker. I know, you know, a lot of pool fans say, mm -hmm. why can't we be more like poker? And, and that is something that happens. Um, mm -hmm. there is a big section in the form about drug testing. Um, yes. this is all about the Olympics, isn't it? Absolutely. We're, we've, we've got, um, through the WCBS, we're the, we're the, we're recognised by the WCBS as the world governing body for pool. The other two members are the world governing body for carom and the world governing body for snooker. We represent the pool. Um, it's very important, of course, that we maintain our IAC recognition and membership. Very important. I know that in the United States there's no great benefit uh, for, for the players there there's no funding available from the uh, US government or the US Olympic Committee at the moment. Uh, hopefully that will change. But many other countries around the world get great benefits from their local um, or national Olympic committees and governments. Um, so it's a very important thing. Now, part and parcel of the requirement of having that membership is that you must do um, drug testing. Um, and... I mean, surely any sport would want that anyway. Uh, it's it's very expensive. It's not cheap to do, but it's effective. And um, you know, we we don't want to tarnish our image or um, by having you know people taking drugs and whatever uh, associated with the sport. It's not it's not a good image. We're trying to encourage young youngsters coming in and playing it. We don't want their parents saying to them, we don't want you playing that because everyone's a drug addict or something. I mean, 
That would be terrible. So we 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 have that in there. It's, it's part and parcel of it. Whether we were part of the Olympics or not, I think we'd still maintain that that part anyway. And and I wonder if part of the disconnect on the drug testing. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to say anything derogatory towards North American pool players, or, or let me back that up. I'm not trying to say anything derogatory towards American pool players, but there is a different mindset with the European players. They think of themselves as athletes. I mean, you don't, you look at some of the top American players, the, the Mika's, the Torsten's, the Neil's. I mean, you know, those guys aren't doing drugs. I mean, they, they know everything that goes into their body. They treat their, their body like, I, I mean, you could exaggerate it a little bit, but it's it's like an extension of their pool cue. I mean, they they know that they can't perform at their best at a pool table if they're not in top shape. But in America, there's so much more emphasis towards gambling and guys mm. having to stay at it for 20 or 30 hours at a time. And it's just accepted more, I think, in America. But people need to understand America is a small portion of who you're looking at as yeah. the World Pool Billiard Association. Yeah, correct, correct. I mean, the players you just mentioned, uh, you know, maybe they've got more commitment to the game. Um, they have a, you know, they have a, a different view on everything. Um, and maybe it's the, it's their. Um, you know their upbringing through the junior ranks, and that when they were young youngsters playing, uh, the way they're educated with it. I know that you have a terrific program uh, in America for the juniors, um, and we've got the junior championship coming up in uh, in November in China, and America will again lead the contingent or the visitors to uh, to China. Uh, they're the most supportive uh, group that that we have. It's fantastic. Um, some of the players now playing on the uh, Moscone Cup uh, for the United States came through the uh, through the junior system. So, you know, that's the sort of image we want to portray with all this. You know, we don't want to we don't want to be seen uh, tied up with gambling, um, drug taking, and all these uh, other um, poor activities. Um, you know, I'm I'm no prude about gambling and that. Um, I've had the pleasure or displeasure, whichever way you look at it, of actually owning a couple of racehorses. Um, but there's, you know, there's a, a place to do that, and uh, that's where it's done. There's, of course, people have a bet on the on on the on sport, golf, tennis, whatever it might be. There's nothing wrong with that. It's it's when it gets into the um, you know the match fixing and all the rest of the things that get associated with it really tarnishes the image of the sport. And and this is not an uncommon rule. I know the WPBA had a rule. I'm sure they still do that prohibits their players from gambling during an event. You can't go to the casino and and play your matches in front of the TV cameras and then head to a pool hall when you're done for the night and and play for a thousand a, a set they they say if you want to do that then stick around wherever you're going and and gamble well, afterwards and i would imagine yeah. there are similar rules in europe and asia yeah of course i mean you know i mean if we were holding a a, a tournament in a casino for argument's sake that's not to say the the, the players are banned from going and uh, playing uh, roulette or uh, blackjack or something in the casino? Of course not. We're talking about players betting on matches uh, between themselves and, you know, the prospects of match fixing come into it. And, uh, yeah, it's it's not something we want to be associated with. Right. Um, and you mentioned when we were talking about drug testing just now that the, the WADA testing is expensive, and this is something that people have brought up. Um, mm. Do you foot the bill for that? Yes, we do. And the question is, wouldn't, which of course, I mean, now we're talking about, you know, comments from people who are saying, well, that money would be better suited to be added to tournaments, but 
again, that comes down to the requirement of drug testing. Yeah, well, unfortunately, um, if you ask the players what we should do with the money we have, uh, the 99.9% of them would say, oh, it should be added into the prize fund. Um, we, we have a lot of outgoings uh, in the WPA. Um, there's a lot of things that we uh, we have to spend money on. Drug testing is one of them. Um, but we su have to support uh, the junior championships, uh, wheelchairs. Um, um, we've supported the artistic for some time. Um, there's oh, look, referee things. There's, there's loads of things that we have to um, uh, spend money on that people probably aren't aware of. And, um, yeah, it's like everything. And costs keep going up. Hotels keep getting uh, more expensive, air tickets, etc. Um, everything gets more expensive, and we need funds to operate. Of course, we do. Well, it does. There does seem to be a belief. Um, I don't know if this is a belief outside of North America, but there does seem to be a belief inside North America that you're simply there to cash a check for sanctioning events and you know, that funds your crazy lifestyle of, of jetting around the world. And... Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if anybody realizes how many hours they've put into doing all this. Um, you know, just today, just today, uh, I'm looking at the clock now. I've been going seven hours already, and it's only half past one in the afternoon. So I don't know. <laughs> well, after going over some parts of the contract, um, yeah. actually, wait, there was one more item that I saw talked about quite a bit. Uh, there yeah. is a small paragraph about insurance. And mm -hmm. I read I read a couple different comments about it, uh, and I apologize I did not go back and, and copy the wording on that. But what is that paragraph all about? Well, it's really um, it's really meaning that if you if you have an accident or, or whatever some mishap uh, at an event, um, you know you should be uh, you should have insurance for that. You can't rely upon the organizer having uh, insurance for it. Now, I'm sure the organizers will have public liability in that in case the seats come crashing down and someone gets injured. But if people get sick. Or they're involved in a an accident, or some other the flight gets cancelled, or I don't know whatever the reason could be. You really should, just for your own responsibility, you should be insured. You should have travel insurance or accident sickness insurance to cover such incidents. You can't have you know expect someone else to foot the bill because you didn't bother getting insured for it. Okay. So, like like we mentioned early in the conversation, this is this is blowing up all over the forums and blowing up all over Facebook. I went back through the forums and I looked at some of the comments that people were making. Now, some of it has already been has already been talked about here. Um, one one person said that all players are required to wear stuff from the WPA sponsors, and it's all about the WPA trying to tie up the players. We've already talked about that. Um, uh, one one user said you have no right to dictate when and where players compete. Uh, you're endangering where they make money. And again, you know we've we've talked about the fact that this applies to what handful of events throughout the year. Um, one question that came up: What are the consequences of a promoter allowing non non WPA members to play in events? So, if I'm holding the championship of the universe down here at Bob's Bar and Grill. Um, what happens if I if I sanction my event with you and then after it's over you say okay you had 12 players playing where's the $15 for each one and the information and I say yeah you know what I, I didn't bother to get them to sign anything well first and foremost they would have had the habit before they could play in the event so we wouldn't have to be chasing it afterwards um, it's it's only about trying to get some, you know, some sort of system uh, organised and done properly. 
we, you know, for too long, everyone's just been too lapsadaisical about everything. Oh, I'll do this oh, if I feel like it and, and so on. We really just want to get some sort of uh, order uh, put in place. And, um, you know, this is a, a step towards it uh, with this player licence. We just want people to be responsible. That's all. So... We're not, sorry, Mike, we're not, we're, not, we're not there, as I said earlier in the piece. We're not there to try and tell everyone how to run their lives and what they've got to do and not do. Um, people have played in Qatar. People have played at the China Open. They'll play in the US Open. We have other events. There's the event coming up in Kuwait. Uh, you'll need a license for that. There's the Women's World Championship uh, in China. You'll need a license for that. There's the uh, ranking event, the Kremlin Cup, uh, the, um, the Japan Open. Uh, all these are WPA sanctioned events. You need a license. It's fifteen dollars a year. I mean, it's it's absurd amount of money. I know fifteen dollars a year. And if you're not happy with it, you can just tear it up whenever you like. Uh, I, I really can't believe that such a simple thing has caused such commotion. Well, you know, it's it's a little downtime. The uh -huh. the people in the pool world, uh, you know, have let the the controversy of the tornado open, you know, run its course, and and you're just the the latest controversy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, I haven't got anything else to do, so why not? Right. Um, <laughs> Let's see. We had talked about the events that are uh, sanctioned WPA events, and somebody brought up the Moscone Cup. That's not a sanctioned WPA event. You can't award points for something like that. No, it's not. It, we, we've, I've known Barry Hearn, I hate to admit it, for, but for, for more than 30 years. And Barry supported us from the time he got involved in pool, in which I think goes back to around about 1999. And he's always sanctioned his events uh, with the WPA. It's, it, and it's been a help to the WPA, you know, the sanction fee that we received from um, Matchroom. Of course, it's a, it's a help. But Barry's there to see that, you know, the, the right thing's done. And having, having some sort of, uh, for the want of a better word, law and order, uh, this is the way to go. We're the, we're the governing body and, you, and you, it should be supported. It's as simple as that. Uh, let, me, let me also make this point, uh, Mike, because I think, don't think a lot of people realise this. I know, I know, I know there's some, uh, some people around that think that players should just be allowed to go and play in this and play in that and all the rest of it. But I can tell you, that a lot of these tournaments wouldn't exist if it if there was no WPA. If the WPA didn't exist, I can tell you that a lot of these events wouldn't happen because they only happen because of the credibility that the WPA brings to their event. In other words, uh, as an or as an example, our World Nine Ball Championship in Qatar that's sponsored by the Qatar Olympic Committee. If the WPA didn't endorse that event, there'd be no tournament because the Qatar Olympic Committee aren't going to put their money uh, into an event that hasn't got any credibility or recognition, any official recognition. The same thing applies in China. China is, is virtually, uh, or not virtually, it is uh, connected to the Chinese Olympic Committee. They're, they share the same building in, in Beijing. The Chinese Olympics uh, are not going to uh, allow events to happen and, and whatever without the endorsement of the, the um, appropriate governing body. The same thing's going to apply in Kuwait. Uh, it needs that, you know, seal of approval, if you like, from the, from the governing body. And it just so happens the WPA is that. I'm sorry, but that's the fact. <laughs> Well, and and to to go a little further on that, you know, there there are a lot of people who ask what the WPA does for the average player. If you know, like we say, if I go play in the U.S. Open, what does it matter to me if if I get WPA points? So what? I get five or ten points. Uh, how as the WPA, 
And mm -hmm. as there are pro when there are problems with sanctioned WPA events, mm -hmm. how do you handle that? I mean, you know, when when somebody slow pays, when there's a change in the added money, when when that sort of thing happens, what do you see as your role in correcting that or in representing the players? Well, it's uh, it's it's never uh, it's never easy when you uh, when you're faced with um, problems, uh, of course. Um, we you know we we try to represent the players in, in as a whole, not just on an individual basis. Uh, now, if there's to be a change. And I, I can't think of any whether there's a change in the prize money or the added money or, or, or something. Um, we would we would want to know why. Um, and I don't know. I, it's a good question, I guess. I, I think you would have to deal with it at the time. But without, well, I guess. Uh, Mike, if there's if the if the money's been changed, it'll probably be the last event we would we would be doing with them. Um, I know I often hear about you know how money should be held in uh, escrow and all the rest of it. Uh, that's not as simple as what it uh, what people make it out to be. That's not such a simple exercise. The other thing is that a, an organizer. And I'm not talking here about a thousand dollar sponsorship or a five thousand dollar sponsorship, but any substantial amount of money that you're going to get from a from a sponsor, you don't get that money three months before the event. You may get some money to help with your uh, operating costs and, and one thing towards the event and in establishing it and getting it ready. You may get another payment uh, at the beginning of the tournament, uh, but. A lot of the money won't be paid till after the tournament, till the sponsor's satisfied that he got what he's what he was promised. So, you know, there's there's always that in it. Um, the idea that some players have that, you know, there should be a uh, a drawer full of cash sitting there waiting just to pay them as soon as they're out of the tournament. Uh, yeah, that can happen in countries where there's no tax laws and that, like such as the Middle East. But in countries where there's tax uh, laws and one thing that apply, those things can't just be done at a whim. There's procedures that have got to be followed for all that. And that's what I say about the sponsors, the organiser getting the money from the sponsor. Um, sometimes that's that's completely out of, your, out of your hands. So if there's a reduction in the money, for instance, the, uh, the sponsor wants to argue that he didn't get what he paid for, um that yeah that that would call, that would be an issue um and we haven't had that experience of it so far uh, hopefully we don't have to deal with it but if we did well i guess we'd have to sort that out at the time there's we haven't got any rule to cover it and and when it comes to um major wpa tournaments you know wpa sanctioned tournaments um where the players are slow to get paid, you know, with, there was the issue with the U.S. Open. I, I hear there's issues with other tournaments. Would you, as the WPA, consider the idea of withholding sanctioning if players, well, if players are slow paid, and then the same question if players are not paid? Um, I don't know of any instance where somebody hasn't been paid. I know there's been slow payments, and you talked about the U.S. Open, um, and I'm I know that that's that's now changed, and uh, uh, everybody was paid on time last year. Everyone will uh, will be paid uh, on time this year, and and so on. Um, in the few years that there was an issue with it, when when we were sanctioning the event, um, we spent a lot of time. Uh, Pursuing the matter with Barry, that um, you know. I mean, if you ask Skip Nemesek how much time he used to spend on the phone to Barry, and but we 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 worked through it and we sorted it out. 
and everyone did get paid. Um, we had an issue some years ago with a, a tournament in uh, in the Philippines, and um, the the i the idea with that tournament, funny thing, is that we did demand the money from the organizer, and we did get the money from the organizer, and it was then the WPA that had to pay the prize money. Well, I can tell you that would never happen again. I was, couldn't believe how many people didn't have bank accounts, how they wanted the money sent to their brother or their mother, their auntie, their uncle or their best friend or whatever. It was a total administration nightmare. And um, there were some problems with that. On top of that, that was at the time that our then um, treasurer, Peter Hawley, passed away in the middle of it. So we were left with a... A right mess. It did get sorted out, but people were slow, some people were slow to get paid from that. But people are giving wrong bank account details and all the rest. Yeah, it, it was something we we're not equipped to be able to handle. It's a, these are big jobs. These are big jobs. Um, the other time that there was a slow payment from the Philippines was at the end of a ten ball championship. There was a change in government. At the time, the government with the sponsor, the incoming government froze all accounts. They didn't, so they were not just the pool tournament. There were many things in the in the Philippines that weren't paid on time because of the withholding of the money by the government, and that and that was also the same tournament where we had people going around trying to boycott the players from playing in the event. That was that was wonderful. One of our uh, so-called own trying to get players to boycott the event. Anyway, again, when the money did come through, all the players were paid. Admittedly, it was late, but it was beyond their control. Okay. Um, there, was, there was a crazy comment, and we've already touched on this, but I just wanted mm -hmm. to give you another opportunity to dismiss it. There was something that I didn't quite understand about how tournaments should be ran on something other than Simonis cloth and how that would take quite a bite out of your wallet. Does Simonis pay the WPA anything? Well, I, I said earlier that we don't have any sponsors and I totally refute that comment. I think that's disgusting. Uh, to anybody who knows me to think that I'd be in the pocket of Simonis or anybody else uh it's just absurd um it's just a slight on my character uh i've been around too many years uh to uh, think that that sort of thing's appropriate um maybe that's the person who made that comment maybe that's the way they do business uh it's certainly not the way that i do it okay real quick couple more items i just, just, just let me. Um, sorry, Mike. Just sure. let me add one more thing to that. At the, at the we've just done the um, the bidding for the World Games, and uh, which will be played next um, next July in Poland. <clears throat> and what we did, we send a bidding form out to a number of companies, and they make a bid. And those bids all come in, and we had three people sit at a table and open the envelopes together, one from each different discipline, one from carom, one from snooker and one from pool. They all opened the bids together and that's how that was assessed. Nobody had any idea how much anyone had bid. It was all secret until the bids were opened and that's the way we conduct it. Absolute transparency. There's none of this people in your back pocket and all the rest of it. it it's it's not on, not, not as far as I'm concerned anyway. And as far as that goes, if, if a company outbids other companies to be the cloth or balls or table or whatever, mm. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. No, of course not. Of course not. And whoever made that comment, they might they might be shocked to find out that Simonis didn't get the winning bid for the World Games next year. Uh, they had they had the same opportunity as anybody else. So maybe I'm in the pocket of the the successful bidder. 
<laughs> there, yeah. there were some comments on Facebook, and you know, there was a comment about how you and I'm hoping that they actually mean the promoter of some of the events pockets thousands of dollars from players who are trying to qualify for that event. I, I was a little lost. I mean, if there's a world championship going on, there's normally a number of qualifying tournaments ahead of time and the players go there and, and they may or may not pay an entry fee to, to compete in that event. But where does that money go to? Well, as I would imagine that it, it, it would either go towards the cost of staging the event. Um, you know, it's just not prize money that's the only expense in running an event. You've got a venue hire, you've got equipment hire. Yeah, you, you may get some of this covered by sponsors, admittedly, but, you know, the, the cost, the promotional costs, uh, it's huge. Um so maybe those uh, that money goes towards uh, meeting those expenses, and heaven behold, some of it might even end up being a bit of a profit for the organizer. Shocking, terrible. Well, can't have that. But certainly, <laughs> none of that money. Everybody is... should be doing it for nothing and losing money. <laughs> I mean, you you know we talk about. I know we talk about match rooms. Well, I should say match rooms spoken about a lot. Match room run their events and make money from them. And I'm more than happy for that because I don't want to see Matchroom start losing money on the events because <laughs> there'll be no more events. That's their business. They're running events. It's not just pool, as you would know. They run darts, snooker, I don't know, golf, boxing, fishing, bowling, everything. And they run it as a business. If you're running a business, you've got to show a profit, and that's the way they do it. I can tell you, there's no profit in the uh, in the tournament in Qatar. There was no profit in. Uh, it, there'll be no profit in um, most of the tournaments that go on. It actually costs money. Well, and if yeah, people, people are doing it, <laughs> right? If those promoters continue losing money over and over, then they stop promoting pool. Well, exactly. But see, a lot, of, a lot of them are getting government assistance to do it because i got to tell you, the pool itself doesn't attract that many spectators to it that you take a lot of money through the gate. No, uh, and I understand that. I mean, yeah. in order to run a successful event, I think you have to, you have, to have a number of different income streams, including gate and, and streaming for most events, uh, well, the funny thing I see about that too is that everybody expects everything for nothing. They don't expect to go and pay to see anybody play. They don't expect to pay uh, to have the, the streaming provided for them. Uh, then the quality is not good enough. Everything's always wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, the last thing, that, and, and this is really a minor issue, um, there was a there was a part of the license form that talked about how the players have to make themselves available for uh, media. Yeah. And someone spun that into this stopping the players from negotiating appearance fees for events, which we're talking about apples and oranges here. But what are you... What is your intention with that section of the license form? It, it simply means this, that if they want to do um, an interview on the radio or on the television or whatever, the player should be, should be able to make themselves available to do such. Um, they shouldn't be demanding a fee to do it or whatever. Um, There's no different to any other sport. And... It's usually only the top players that they do want to interview and that anyway at any at any sport. And we're just sort of saying, yeah, if you're asked to do it, we expect you to do it. Every every sport does it. I don't know why we'd be any different. And it's, they're not in they're not in great demand. There's, there shouldn't be any great, too much concern about that. Um, and the ones that do do it are asked to do it. They do a very good job in doing it. 
it's it's very good to see how they how well they they handle themselves. It's uh it's very good. Uh, but you know that it's just trying to cover uh, most of the bases uh, in this agreement. But you know, <laughs> it's it's fairly gentle. I've got to say, if you compare it to uh, other contracts that people are um, and agreements that people are uh, asked to sign. Well, I've seen some of those other agreements, and and I'll back you on that one. Uh, but Ian, I've taken up enough of your time. I, you said you'd been doing it for seven hours, and that was probably before we got into this conversation. So, I appreciate you. What's what's that? It's now seven and a half. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I appreciate you taking some time to to fill us in and and you know give the listeners some idea what this is all about. I hope that this will uh, calm some of the uh, the sky is falling people. I'm sure it won't, but I, I hope. And, and you know, look at it this way. In a day or two, there's going to be some new controversy in the game, and we're going to all concentrate on that. <laughs> yeah, I believe you. <laughs> all right, Ian, I will let you go. And um... All right. Nice to talk to you, Mike. Always a pleasure. And um, any time you have something to ask, don't be, uh, don't be shy. Uh, I'm more than happy to uh, to oblige. All right, thanks a lot.